Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Series 2, Episode 347 of this Daily Study Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today as we continue with our study of December the 7th to December the 13th, covering Moroni chapter 7 to 9, May Christ Lift Thee Up. And today we're going to cover Moroni chapter 8, which within it has quite a lot of things, but uh, we're going to focus on uh, one or two main aspects of this, because again, we could be here for quite a while uh, to study uh, this entire section. There's lots in there. We'll start with more Moroni chapter 8, verse 1, where we read the context of what this is. Uh, we read that it says, An epistle of my father Mormon written to me Moroni, and it was written to me soon after my calling to the ministry. And on this wise did he write unto me, saying... So we know that this chapter is, again, written by the hand of Mormon, but it's being um, copied in or transcribed or, um, you know, included by Moroni. So we have kind of a second letter uh, from Mormon here, and we'll get another one in chapter nine as well. Richard Dilworth Rust explained this second letter for us. He said, quote, it is appropriate that these letters follow Mormon's sermon on faith, hope and charity because they put the essence of that sermon to the test. Mormon's first letter is like a Pauline epistle in giving counsel to help regulate the church. In harmony with his arguments and his previously quoted sermon, Mormon's dominant characteristic revealed in this letter of love, um, sorry, the characteristic revealed in this letter is love. The second letter, which is tomorrow's um, study, reveals the full strength of Mormon's position. His people, he says, have lost their love towards one another and one another, and they thirst after blood and revenge continually. Yet Mormon preserves his perfect love and remains uncontaminated by the evil around him. Close quote. So like I say, sorry I should have been clearer. What we have here is two letters today and tomorrow that Mormon wrote to his son Moroni that yesterday's was a sermon that he gave. Um so today's is some um, doctrinal direction, some doctrinal correction by Mormon. And it's around the practice of baptizing infants. Um, in verse five, it says, for, I, for if I have learned the truth, there have been disputations among you concerning the baptism of your little children. So he outlines that you know, this is the issue that for the reason why he is writing. And some may question, you know, why did this um, practice begin? Or is there any evidence that we have this practice? Um, Book of Mormon Central uh, gave a, uh, some research and said, quote, some early readers of the Book of Mormon believe that, the Mor- that Mormon's condemnation of the baptism of little children was an indication that the Book of Mormon was of modern, not ancient origin. Infant baptism was thought to be an issue that would not have made sense to the ancient American audience. Infant baptism was in fact known in pre-Columbian times. Early historical sources indicate that Aztec midwives ritually bathed newborns under the assumption that they had inherited evil or impurity at birth. If similar practices existed in earlier times, Mormon's condemnation of this practice among the people of Nephi makes sense. Close quote. I suppose that would have been, you know, something, especially in the early 1800s and so on, that people thought, well, surely this is written by Joseph Smith because it includes discussion about infant baptism, which will have been a topic of discussion around religions in his time as well. But as is pointed out, there are records of and um sources that indicate that there was that there was um, the practice of bathing newborns in water to, to get rid of sin in pre-Columbian times as well. Uh, again, just another evidence of the Book of Mormon is of historical truth. But uh, what I found most interesting about this verse is that we have just been talking about 
in the Book of Mormon, so Mormon's record himself, um, and also to some degree uh, that the sermon that Mormon gave yesterday in Mormon chapter 7, that we were under the impression that a lot of the people were faithless, that they didn't even believe in God or Christ, and that they, they didn't hold to his ways. But actually, this seems to indicate this wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, it seems that there were quite a few believers still, enough believers for Mormon to write a sermon to them, um, or to give a sermon to them, and to write a doctrinal um, correction letter. But what is interesting is that it's not so much that they were faithless, but they were faith lost, in my view, that they were so lost, even if they did have faith in Christ, that they were taking direction and taking matters of doctrine into their own hands, which, you know, is, is even worse in some cases. So you've got this uh, situation which actually starts to look very much like our world today, where you have got obviously people who do, do not have a faith in Christ at all. But then you do have people who have a faith in Christ, but who like his direction, like his doctrine and, and you know, do other uh, things that are different to what he has asked us to do. Um, and suddenly that world seems very much like ours. In Moroni chapter 8, verse 6, um, Mormon explains that this shouldn't happen. It says, And now, my son, I desire that you should labor diligently, that this gross error should be removed from among you. For for this intent have I written this epistle. Um, we know um, that, you know, infants, children who do not have the ability to choose, um, do not require baptism at that stage. And it is interesting that this um, letter, Moroni decided to include after the sermon about being able to choose from good and evil and being able to discern right from wrong and then give this uh, epistle about infant baptism not being required. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Uh, I think that there is a reason why it's been put in there after that chapter because there was so much talk about having to be able to choose between good and evil and laying hold upon good things and recognising and discerning the good and the bad things. And then this chapter about how these children who are not able to make those choices shouldn't need to be baptised yet. Um, President M. Russell Ballard said this, quote, We're born good. We learn to sin as we grow older. And if you need evidence of the truth of that doctrine, please see your nearest infant. Look deeply into the child's eyes. Have you ever seen such sweetness and purity? It's like you can look through a baby's eyes right into heaven. Of course, that changes a little later in their lives when wide-eyed innocence turns into wild-eyed mischievousness. That's when children become capable and accountable of sin, when they know and understand the difference between right and wrong. Through the prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord revealed that the age of accountability is eight years old. Close quote. I mean, I love that description. I love, I mean, it, it really outlines clearly why infants do not need baptism. Of course, Mormon talks about how they're made alive in Christ, um, that, you know, for, for a start, they're not capable of committing a sin. Uh, and that's the reason why. Um, and in verse 9 to 10, it talks about how infant baptism is a solemn mockery before God. So we're not just, you know, saying it's something that you shouldn't really do. It's actually something he's saying, it's actually a mockery before God. Uh, which is quite a bit stronger than perhaps um, some people would have thought to begin with. And um, in verse 12, it's where it says, but little children are alive in Christ, even, even from the foundation of the world. And if not so, God is a partial God and a changeable God and a respecter of persons. For how many little children have died without baptism? 
Um, so in verse, so I'm going, I've got a quote actually to share uh, from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland about this idea of infant baptism as well. Um, quote, in the pattern set out by the Saviour's own teachings, it is telling that both Mormon and King Benjamin invite adults, Mormon said specifically parents, to become more like little children, not the other way around. An infant's purity and innocence, a baby's sense of wonder, a little one's willingness to believe, a toddler's inherent trust in a father and mother, a child's ability to almost instantly forgive and forget, to laugh again, to see the very best in the world. These are just a few of the ways adults need to be more like children, close quote. That is so true that, you know, we know about how um, Christ invites us to become like little children. And you have to wonder if they, if children did need baptism as soon as they were born, why would we be asked, why would we be asked to become like them? Obviously, in their purity and innocence, we need to become like them. But also, I love um, the, the comment that Elder Holland gave about being able to instantly forgive and forget. Um, that that happens so often with, with my kids. Like, you know, we tell them off for something and say, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. That's, you, that was a wrong choice. You know, uh, make sure you don't make that choice again. And if you said that to an adult, I think that adult had a bit of an issue with you for quite a while. However, you know... A child kind of accepts it, and okay, and then goes off and carries on playing and wants you to play with them. And it's only really just hit me right now just how forgiving and how accepting children are, even children who are mischievous. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, um, our son is a cheeky one. Uh, you know, he he says and does quite a few, you know, cheeky things. Um, but, uh, you know, when you not tell him off, when you correct him and when you, you know, take that, put that into context and say this should be the direction you should have gone um you know i think an adult would would take that a lot more hard and say that i'm an adult you can't tell me you know what i should do and shouldn't do i know what's right and wrong whereas a child will you know accept that now obviously when they reach the age of eight which our son has and interestingly you can start to see those changes where perhaps he does think about it a little bit longer and be a bit more unhappy about that correction um than when, when even when he was a year younger uh, it is interesting to see that change, and I can testify that I've seen that. Um, and that is doctrine, that, that the age of eight is the is where that starts to begin to change. Anyway, we're going to leave chats right there, because he then goes on talking about fear and faith and about needing to repent and parents needing to repent. And we've talked about that quite often, and I've, we only have one day left on this section, which is unbelievable. Um, so we will move to chapter nine tomorrow, for there's some wonderful... Uh, nuggets in there as well but thank you for listening today please do um, continue to study yourself so that you can cover everything and also please do um, share the fa- uh, share the podcast go to the facebook group church of jesus jesus christ study session with come follow me you can also email session at gmail.com if you wish to join in a future podcast episode yourselves thank you for your time and until we meet again